This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Time for a COVID break because coming up in two days from now, the Toronto Blue Jays, New York Yankees will step onto the same field. They will play a game. At the end of it, one will chalk up a victory and one will chalk up a defeat. And then they will take a break for one day, and they'll do it again on Saturday, and the Major League Baseball season will begin to unfold. Here we go. Arash Madani joins us from Rogers Sportsnet to talk about the Blue Jays' season. Arash, two days away. Do you get excited right now, or is this still a strange year where it feels a little odd to get excited about this? Uh, probably a little bit of both, Mike. I mean, you know, the old adage is time begins on opening day. Um, I won't be there in New York because the border's closed and because of COVID. And there will be a few fans there, but not a packed house that you'd expect at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. So, yeah, you're excited for opening day, but it's still, it's still going to be weird. Baseball is looking at doing a 162-game schedule which is as condensed as any schedule in north american sports in a non-pandemic year i know we've got vaccines that have been really rolling out in parts of the united states we're hoping they continue to roll out at greater and greater speeds here 162 game season does it shock you in any way that there weren't provisions for at least a a little makeup time here and there well i i I think kind of like the rest of the leagues, what we're seeing with the NHL and the NBA, there are going to be some postponements. There are going to be some pauses. There are going to be, oh, I should say there likely will be um, across baseball. Some teams may end up playing 145. Some teams may end up playing 158. Not everybody played 60 last year. But the one thing about all of this, Mike, is that you know, the Houston Astros on their way to playing their opener are stopping in Houston to all get vaccinated at the Methodist Hospital there. Uh, it's expected that by the end of April, every big league baseball player and coach, the tier one personnel, their trainers, their equipment people, their video people will all be vaccinated. So uh, I, I would it surprise me that um, you're going to hear about COVID outbreaks here and there? No. Um, may some teams not play all 162? Yeah, um, but uh, they're they're going all systems go because they have a the players want to play. They missed out on a hundred uh, hundred games worth of paychecks last year, and they only get their money back. And they have a collective bargaining agreement expiring at the end of this season. So who knows what's going to happen? Rash Madani joining us from Rogers Sportsnet. Rash, Jays fans have been wondering where the team is going to play this year. Do we know anything more about the schedule of where they will be and, and when? Well, Mike, your timing couldn't have been better. Not 10 minutes ago, the organization announced that their third home stand of the season will remain in Dunedin. So my understanding of it is this, that probably the first two months of the year, home games will be in Dunedin which basically takes us until June 1st. The organization is is hopeful that they can play some games here in Toronto at some point, maybe August, maybe September. My belief is that they'll end up playing in Buffalo for a couple of months, 
uh, likely June, July, with the hope of getting back up here in August or September. But, again, the border's closed. Um, B.C. just went into lockdown. Who knows what's going to happen with COVID in our province. A lot remains to be seen for four months from now. But for sure, they'll be in Florida the first couple of months and expect them to be in Buffalo the, uh, you know, six, eight weeks after that. Right. Well, let's look at the team because this will give us an opportunity to take a few more COVID breaks and pay attention to what a, a potentially exciting offensive Blue Jays team is going to do. How about injury-wise going in? Who's healthy? Who's We know that the closer situation was harmed by injury, but what else is going on from an injury front? Well, uh, they've had a few, and they've all happened relatively late in camp. Uh, Hunjin Ryu, the AC, is fine health-wise, but the number two man in the rotation, Robbie Ray, uh, the organization told us he slipped down the stairs at his spring training home while carrying his child and fell. Uh, thankfully, his kid is okay, but Ray landed on his elbow. He's not going to make his first start. We're not sure how long he's going to be out. Uh, Nate Pearson, who is the, I call him Boy Wonder, Mike, uh, first-round <laughs> draft pick, throws 101 miles an hour, can bring the gas. He's been dealing with a groin issue for the last little while. He's not even throwing off a mound in a bullpen right now, just flack around. I wouldn't expect to see him until in and around May long weekend. Uh, they've had a couple other pitchers, Rafael Delis, Ryan Barucki, dealing with uh, back spasms and hamstrings and that kind of thing. And, of course, George Springer, the $150 million man, the face of the franchise, the biggest free agent signing in franchise history, he's dealing with an oblique, which can linger. So they're going to be a little careful with, with Springer. Um, but he may only miss a week or so. Uh, but pitching, there are some questions on the health front. But this is a team that last year got into the playoffs in a 60-game season. Granted, it was expanded playoffs. Their young kids, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., is looking better. Bo Bichette's looking better. Kevin Biggio's looking better. They have Teoscar Hernandez, the Silver Slugger Award winner from last year. Lourdes Gurriel looks like he took another step. The, the, building, the rebuilding is over. Now it's building. And, Mike, for the first time in a while, there are expectations with this team. And it's going to be interesting to see how some of these kids deal with those expectations. Harash Madani from Roger Sports now joining us as we look ahead to the Jays season. A couple of names to make the roster that maybe weren't locks, one being Jonathan Davis, the other being Alejandro Kirk. What do you make of their stories? Well, I think Davis, look, Davis is a great story. He's 28 years old, makes the big league roster out of camp for the first time. He's been back and forth to and from the majors. He is somebody who is very well liked in that clubhouse. He's an absolute pro. Um, he offers versatility. He can be a defensive replacement. He can come off the bench, play any spot in the outfield, uh, be a pinch runner, and can bat lead off if you need him to. He's an absolute Swiss Army knife versatile. Um, Alejandro Kirk made the team on merit. Uh, a guy who became a little bit of a folk hero among Blue Jay fans last year as a 21-year-old who could just hit, um, you know, the little engine that could. And Reese McGuire, the backup catcher, was out of options, so the Blue Jays could stand to lose him, but Kirk outperformed him in camp and won the backup catcher job. So he's going to break camp with the team. 
so again, Mike, what's important to understand here is that, you know, April 1st, Kirk and Davis are on the team. By April 8th, there could be changes all over the place. And there's going to be a lot, especially with their pitching. But two good stories of two guys, as you mentioned, probably weren't uh, locked to make the team coming out of camp, but uh, here they are getting an opportunity to open 2021 at Yankee Stadium. Final thing, Arash, the first series is against the New York Yankees. Do Jays fans allow themselves to call this a measuring stick, or do we call this game <laughs> one, two, and three of the season? Yeah, game one, two, and three of 162. <laughs> um, the measuring stick series begin around Labor Day. Um, that's the one thing that we have to remember um, about uh, about baseball. It's kind of like, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. They started 7-5, and five, and then they won their last four regular season games and obviously won out in the playoffs. 7-5 um, and five in football, there, there'd be 40 games left in the equivalent of a baseball season um, at that point. So Sparky Anderson, the late Sparky Anderson, the old Tigers manager, his theory always was, hey, the first, uh, first 40 games, just make sure you're 500. Just, just you know, don't get out of the race too far, and then the season starts after that. So if the Jays can be hovering around and be in a conversation by June, Mike, it wouldn't surprise me if they went and upgraded their pitching staff and, and gave it a little run. Wow. All right. Well, Arash, it's always fun talking about things like this. Thanks so much for taking some time for us, and enjoy the start. Mike, really enjoyed uh, the conversation. Call anytime, man. Great to talk baseball with you. We'll talk soon. Take care. That is Arash Madani from Rogers Sportsnet. So that is the optimism that does exist. And, hey, Arash has covered this team for a long, long time and is very realistic when it comes to things like expectations. And the idea that this Blue Jays team may find themselves in a position where they could think, you know, let's, let's go out, add an arm, Downtown construction projects, they happen every year. But we've got some major stuff in the offing in London where we can talk about what's going to happen on Adelaide that will alleviate things if you've ever been stuck behind a train. We have BRT coming in. Like it, love it, loathe it, wherever you sit on that. It's coming. And so the downtown loop is going to be equipped, and that's going to create some issues. And then we've got some fallout for Dundas. To help us understand all of this and where we sit in terms of the biggest projects and ones the city is looking forward to perhaps most, we are joined right now by 980 CFPL reporter Andrew Graham. Andrew, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about these projects that we know are out there. We know that we'll have some orange cones. We'll have some, I guess, big vehicles around. We'll be rerouted all over the place. But if you're to look at the city's perspective on maybe some of the big ones, the top ones, the ones that city officials are most excited about, where do we start? 
Well, one of the biggest ones I think everyone's excited about is the Adelaide Street North underpass. Um, obviously, that railway track, I mean, everyone knows about London's railway system. It can be very, very chaotic. It can, you know, really make everyone late to work. It's always used as an excuse. Um, you know, in a few years' time, that won't be an excuse anymore. So the Adelaide Street North underpass, what they're going to do is they're going to have the railway go on top and then the folks drive under but we're only really laying the early work this year. Um, now that's still listed as one of the top projects because this is a multi-million dollar project. I mean, the budget goes over $50 million and that's split between funding from Canadian Pacific, Pacific Railway, from the government and from the city of London. But this year they'll be working on, you know, getting those early touches, relocating utilities and what have you. We might see a detour towards the end of the year. And of course, so many things can happen with the COVID-19 pandemic. Another big project coming up is the downtown loop. Uh, if that sounds familiar, that's one of the, the, the big changes for our bus rapid transit system. Uh, that's going to start causing a lot of delays on Kane Street, basically removing Kane Street entirely, which is uh, what's going to bring us to our Dundas Place reconstruction that's temporarily happening this year. We'll touch on that later, but that will be one of the biggest projects really laying the infrastructure for transit to come. And then, of course, Oldies Village, they've already dealt with a lot of that Dundas Street renewal from last year. They must might be familiar with the closure that went on all summer. That's going to continue again this year and just, again, go with that infrastructure, make sure those sewers are, are working, those water main repairs. But it's going to be a big year for infrastructure and total investments, it's going to be about $170 million in investments for this year alone. And again, not all these projects are going to be finished this year, but obviously there will be construction a lot in London and especially downtown. In other words, if you are working from home right now, there may be additional reason to stay working from home. Do we know when any of these projects are actually going to start? So the majority of them will start in April. Construction season is literally just next month. Um, so those downtown ones, like the downtown loop, the Dundas Street renewal in Old East Village, those will get started right away. You'll see like the, the, the real work of it. Um, in terms of the bigger project as the Adelaide Street North underpass, you'll mainly see a lot of you know utility work, things along those lines, but no real detours, no real stoppages to Adelaide Street. That's still gonna be a viable street uh, come April. and partially through the summer. It won't be until the fall that we start to see those detours. But again, I say that with a bit of hesitation just because things can change between them. There has been some resistance to this project from community members. And of course, detours are always met with resistance. So if things do go according to plan, you'll see that detour on Adelaide Street come around fall. But again, keep an eye out because that may change from now to then. We'll keep you updated. Andrew Graham joining us, 980 CFPL reporter. So when we look at Dundas Place, Dundas Street, we know that there are going to be changes made there. One of the things that has been talked about is that bike lane, the protected bike lane that's been on King. If we're taking that away and all of the islands for the buses that were put in, all of that is going away so that we can have the downtown loop, which will be part of bus rapid transit. What about the bike lane for Dundas Place? Do we know anything more about that at this point? Yeah, so it's been kind of a hot topic for the past month uh, between City Hall and between the cycling community. So what the city staff have actually done, they've put forward four new recommendations of what to do on Dundas Place. And again, it should be stressed that this is only temporary. This will only last for this year. So come next year, whatever they put in place is going to be gone. 
So the cycling community, they've been a little upset with the fact that the initial design had no real barriers put in place. Um, it was uh, lane signage. There were some planted barriers, if possible, but nothing concrete. Um, so what city staff have done, they've come back with four options. Uh, the first option, and this is the one that's received most support from cyclists who've written to City Hall. I, I don't want to say that every cyclist supports this, but for the ones who have written to City Hall for today's meeting, they've supported this. It'd be bi-directional bike lanes. So basically you have one lane of eastbound traffic, vehicle traffic, and then you have another lane that usually would be reserved for cars. Instead, we're going to have that for two directional bike lanes. There won't be any parking that will take away the parking on Dundas Place. So you can kind of see where that's going to strike a chord of businesses. The other option, and this is what's being recommended by city staff, is to have unidirectional bike lanes. So you have one lane of bikes and you have one lane of a car going eastbound and they have another lane of a bike going westbound. So you see bike, car, bike, and then parking. So that keeps the parking. It's, uh, it's much cheaper than the first option, about $30,000. And then after that, there's another option, traffic diversion. So you're just going to have traffic, you know, not turn on a Dundas, have some more signage. Very cheap option, not being recommended by city staff. And the final option, the cheapest option is to do nothing. You can understand why it's cheaper. Um, so again, the biking option, the one that's supported by them, the bi-directional bike lanes, that's going to cost $175,000. Again, for a temporary project, I'm not sure if this will receive support from city staff. There's a meeting going on right now. We're gonna find out what they're thinking, what their thoughts are. And of course, this all still has to go to city council. So today won't be the final, the final nail in the coffin. We're still going to see where this ends up, but it, it, we, there's a bit of a butting of the heads, I guess, between city staff and the cycling community. And we'll see where this ends up for the summer. Andrew, thank you for keeping tabs on this, and we'll look forward to finding out what is decided at Civic Works today. Keep safe. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Mike. That is Andrew Graham. So four ideas. Some are not as expensive as others, and one of them is do nothing. And you're going to have concerns from businesses if you take away parking. You have concerns from cyclists who worry about safety because you've got those little metal pylons that stick out and if you are seeing vehicles having to cross the cycling lane in order to park we discussed that a couple of weeks ago that's not going to work one-way traffic could that be a solution where you put as andrew says bikes and then vehicles and then parking that maybe sounds like the safest that seemed to have more of a price tag to it so we'll see what is decided today at civic works And there is a deadline tonight that you might want to put into your phone right now, put a reminder, or just if you're in a position to do this, get in on this right now. Because that deadline brings to an end something that has been happening all month long with the London Knights. Joining us right now to describe what this is, what the deadline is, and how you still actually have a little over five hours to get involved is Alex Brown. And Alex is the director of marketing and game day operations for the London Knights. Alex, how are things? Hey, Subzi. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, you know what? Like you said, like we're we're itching and waiting for some news, but uh, you know we can't complain about this great raffle that we've had all month and the support that we've seen from Londoners. It's actually I, I'm just quickly. It's actually tomorrow night the deadline. So tomorrow night at eight yes. p.m. Um, is the deadline. But we've seen some great success. It's our biggest one ever, um, and we're really excited about it. 
My apologies. We have a no, day and a little over five hours because I keep thinking today is March 31st for some reason. Today is not March 31st. Do not be fooling anybody tomorrow <laughs> thinking it's April Fool's. That'll just get you into a lot of trouble. In some ways, it could get you arrested. So be careful. Things that can go by on April the 1st don't always fly any other day of the year. So that's Thursday. So, yeah, tomorrow night coming up at 8 p.m. So let's talk first off for anybody who is not familiar with the 50-50, who is it helping out this month? Yeah, absolutely. This month uh, we've dedicated the proceeds to the Children's Health Foundation, obviously a huge part of our community and a huge part of the history of our team. Um, our, our players for years have gone there and met with kids and their families. And then uh, in turn, our, our fans have been able to give back so much and donate through the 50-50 over the years. So we're excited to, to work with them again this month. So we go to Knights5050.com. So Knights5050.com in order to purchase tickets. Are the tickets available up until 8 o'clock tomorrow night? Right up until 8 p.m. tomorrow night. Uh, and the main draw will happen just shortly after that window closes. Uh, and like you said, Knights5050.com, there's three ticket options. Um, first time ever, we've done 200 numbers for $40, which has been exciting. We've seen a lot of support there. Um, and we're just shy of $22,000 on the take-home pot right now. So the winner's going to be taking home a, re- a really nice check this uh, this month. So hang on. You're just shy of $22,000 on the take-home pot? That's not total jackpot? That's 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 right. That's the fifty percent. That's the uh, winner's share. It's just shy of twenty two thousand dollars. Oh, that is phenomenal, and that's a great amount of money for the Children's Health Foundation as well. And there is still time to grow the pot a little bit more. And if you don't have a ticket, to get yourself a ticket so that you have a chance, or as Alex outlines, two hundred chances. You can get two hundred numbers for forty dollars in order to who knows win that jackpot. Alex, thank you so much for the update on this. So tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, nights5050.com. Those are the main things that we need to know, along with helping out the Children's Health Foundation. You keep safe, and uh, I hope we're talking more OHL stuff in the near future. Yeah, I hope so, too. Stubbsy, thanks so much for your support on this to all the core stations in town and to our friends at McDonald's London. So can't wait to see how high this goes, and we'll uh, be in touch again soon. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock is the deadline. Nights5050.com is the place to go. Alex, we'll talk soon. Take care. Alex Brown, Director of Marketing and Game Day Operations for the London Knights. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.